Hello, my name is Maddie. And I'm Hannah. We are Reading Partners in Crime. We investigate a real-life case using advice from murder mystery authors. We review a book, find the sleuthing tips, and hopefully solve the case. Welcome to the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon. In Season 5, we will be travelling around the world in 15 mysteries. We also have an exciting new feature, TV Tattle. This is alongside the golden oldies of Queens of Crime and Case Notes. We are still investigating the pesky missing salmon. And all amateur sleuths need a sidekick, so we will be joined by our feline ami, Hercule. And, of course, there will be all kinds of mystery business, expert guests and special bonus episodes. Season 5 sounds like an absolute corker. Doesn't it just? We can't wait for you, mes amis, to join us. Welcome to Season 5 of the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon. post it oh it's unrelated to the show okay do you want me to tell you all it says yeah what do pumblechook and pip talk about in chapter 58 what do they talk about in chapter 58 how long is that book <laughs> great expectations oh fair 59 chapters is it yeah that feels like a kind of um that feels like trivia <laughs> a trivia <laughs> bit, bit of trivia to start the series a bit of unrelated literature trivia not mystery but adjacent i feel like we're both really uncomfortable not not emotionally. <laughs> it's a lot of moving around. Physical. Well, I yeah. Do you want to get a get do, you, do you want a cushion? Maybe. Obviously, I always love this cushion. There we go. This one. <sighs> Thank you. It's great content. Great, great, great quality content. <laughs> oh, you've got your little flippy book. Police notebook. I've got the police notebook for season five. Fantastic. Um, I feel like we're out of the habit of recording and I don't remember what, what we any of the things we're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe we always start by saying... Hello, Matt. Whoa. Whoa. Informal for so season informal. five. I guess we, we've got, known each other for a bit now. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Hannah. No, but normally, what I find <laughs> odd is that we, I never start with a hello. I never say, oh, hi, how are you? You always, it's always you to me. Okay, well, d- no, no, I, there's t- no reason to mess, it, there's no so. reason to mess with success. We need to get in there, episode two. Bam, straight off, Bam. straight off. Straight in, just okay. be, before I can say anything. Discerning. Yeah. Oh, hello. <laughs> well, we're here for episode one. Series five. Series five. It is five, isn't it? It is yeah. five, yeah. I know I said this was series four, but I feel like five's quite big. As a milestone. As a milestone? Yeah. I feel like it's more, I, I feel more like, whoa, that's a big milestone, than I think I will feel about six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it's more the episode numbers. Oh, okay. So when we get to 100 episodes... Is that the series? Mm, no, I think it might be season six. Well, interesting. 
I think the reason that I think that about series five is because in one of my favourite TV shows, One Tree Hill, <laughs> series five is a gear shift. They, they, they leap forward five years. Four years. Four years. So it's a real different vibe. <laughs> but we do have a gear shift. We do have a gear shift. Five. Nice segue. Yes, we do. Do you want to explain our gear shift? A new, a new model. A new approach. A new approach. Yeah. So for season five, we are travelling around the world through the medium of mystery. We're not actually travelling around the world. We wish. We wish. We wish. But that's what we can do when we get a TV show. Oh my God, that's so true. We can televise season five and go to all the destinations mentioned. Get in touch, execs. (laughs) (laughs) We will do that if you pay us. (laughs) Yeah. So what that means is each book for season five will be in a different location. Exciting. Exciting. And we've tried to go with locations. We've got a mix of locations. But I think, crucially, we were, ha- we were keen to include locations where our biggest fan bases are. We were, and we will flag those when we get to them. But if you've been listening to the show, you know that the first episode of every season, it's always from the OG QFC Ags. <laughs> so that's the original Queen of Crime, Agatha Christie. And we are going to be talking today about Murder on the Orient Express, which has many different locations in Many it. different locations. It's also quite odd that we've never talked about it, because it is one of her biggest, I'd say. Yeah, iconic. I love that you call her the OG, because... I didn't know what that meant in yeah. previous seasons, but learning, growth, the, development. <laughs> she is the original gangster. <laughs> got a great bit of mystery business on Agatha I recently listened to a podcast which was from the London Review of Books so of course we have actually discussed an article from the London Review of Books many moons ago so what happened is I was on Instagram which is at Missing Salmon Case, if you don't follow us. And in our feed, there was a link to The Case of Agatha Christie mm. by John Lang- Lanchester. And it was on the London Review of Books podcast. So I thought, well, got to give this a go. see what it's like. Now, there was some very standard fodder that we know, any Ags readers will know, that all of her books are still in print. Obviously, yeah. She sold one billion books in English and one billion in other languages. That's old news, isn't it? Yeah, old news, but always always great to be... Always exciting, old news. But most of the podcast looked at why Agatha Christie sold so many books compared with two other contemporaries, Marjorie Allingham. Mm -hmm. We did read The Case of the Late Pig. And an author we probably won't be reading. Is it Dorothy L. Sayers? Yes. <laughs> we have read her pre-podcast for anyone who's wondering why we're not into it. But not for us. Not for, not us. for us. She was our first ever read, actually, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. So what John Lanchester did on the podcast, it was quite interesting, is he read three example paragraphs. So one from Marjorie Allingham, (laughs) one from Dorothy L. Sayers, and one from Agatha Christie. And what he was saying is because Agatha Christie's language is quite simple and direct, her writing hasn't gone off in the mm. way that perhaps Allingham and Dorothy L. Sayers' writing has. And he was also talking about how perhaps Agatha Christie's ideology is implicit rather than explicit, which mm-hmm. I thought was quite interesting. But the thing that he goes on to talk about towards the end are the Agatha Christie novels that are seen as masterpieces. Mm, okay. okay, love that. So I thought you could guess. So these are, there are one, two, three yeah. Agatha Christie novels, and there is general consensus that these three novels are sort of her masterpieces. So I suppose that's critics, writers, readers. So would you like to have a guess? I would love to. Yes. Okay. Surely the Orient Express is on there? Yeah. Obviously. Discussing it today, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to assume that And Then There Were None might be on there. Absolutely. Absolutely. The third one, that's tricky because I think there are lots then in the next bracket of like good, (laughs) very good and great stories, which means it's quite difficult to discern. So I'll give you a list of my potentials. Okay, sure. So what I would say is I have got, in addition to the three like agreed masterpieces, there are one, two, three, four that are maybe they could also be in okay it's a bit perhaps there's a bit more disagreement about them i'm gonna look at the butt of the bar bookshelf yeah <laughs> okay so so the thing that crossed my mind early were a few things death on the nile so death on the nile is one of the yes maybe it should be maybe it should be yeah the caribbean mystery no what is there any marple yes there are two marples Golf marples are they in the any masters in the master oh Start again. Marples in the masterpiece? No, there are no marples in the masterpiece. Oh, this is hard. Yeah, it's quite hard. I mean, you did really well. I'm just going to continue to list ones that I think are really good. <laughs> okay, so Evil Under the Sun? No. What? Well, amateurs. It's amazing. No. Uh, Mysterious Affair at Styles? No. What? Oh, I know. Oh, I've missed Roger Ackroyd. Okay, yeah, so... so that's got to be the third, right? Yeah, that's the third masterpiece. So the ones that there's consensus for masterpieces are Murder of Roger Ackroyd, then there were none, and Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, and then there's another layer. Yeah, and then the maybes are Death on the Nile. Right. Murder in Mesopotamia. Oh, love it. Love it. Good, Good story. 450 from Paddington. Yeah. yeah. Justice for 450. Love yeah. to hear. And then he suggests maybe at Bertram's Hotel Ooh. and maybe a murder is announced because a murder is announced sort of sums up 
that idea of exploring like how has how has society changed and all comes down to that basic question of who are you who, who are, are you? you who are you who are you <laughs> i would say the highlight of this podcast episode for me was he described one agatha christie novel as a turkey is it man in the brown suit yeah (laughs) bin that off yeah season two episode one yeah i was really pleased i was really pleased about that (laughs) so i say that as a podcast episode it is quite interesting if you're into agatha christie already there's not i wouldn't say there is much in there that is new but it is I suppose it is quite interesting thinking about, okay, why has all of her work survived mm-hmm. in a way that other mystery yeah. writers at the time didn't? Then there's the classic fact that she didn't like Poirot and found him annoying. We know this. No, guys. We know this. And the in the podcast, John Lanchester suggests that Poirot is the most popular more so than Marple, because he's the least plausible. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, because he's a bit more larger than life, I guess, which is more comforting. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought was quite interesting that he pointed out is that nearly all of Agatha Christie's novels are murders, as opposed to like Sherlock Holmes, where there was like fraud and burglaries and things like that. And uh, he suggested that she's not as interested in the consequences of, of, crime. of crime, you know, like all the real world ethics. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this because... When I'm you not watch, so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that either. But when you watch like, not so much when I read a book, but when I watch a, a crime drama, hmm. do, you, do you feel almost disappointed when the crime isn't a murder? Because I do. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care if someone stole your car. <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> you know? If it's not a cr- if it's not a murder, I'm out, thanks. Okay, no, I think there is an exception in something like have you watched Lupin on Netflix? Yeah, 100%. So it's Omar Sai as a French, basically sort of the French equivalent of Sherlock Holmes. So it's based on a number of uh, short stories. So it's like a classic retelling of this, the French story about Arsène Lupin, who was the world famous gentleman thief and master of disguise. So it's sort of following everything that he does. But there isn't, there isn't any, well... Okay, there isn't, there is murder, but he's, mainly it's not murder. Okay, fine. Yeah. And you think that works? Yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But would you, would you largely agree that when there's no murder, not interesting? You're really pushing me to agree. So yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Agree with me. (laughs) Well, no, I would say just, if you think about our reading, obviously this is a, is a show where we're reading murder mysteries but we have had a couple sneak through where there haven't been any murders because yeah. the franchise affair by yeah. josephine tay 
Not a murder. Not murder, kidnapping. A separation. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, there was a dead body. There was a dead body. The murder. So we will put a link to this yes. podcast episode in the episode notes. Maybe check it out. I think I probably, you know, brought to the table the most exciting points of it. But you know. okay, so you summarised it excellently. I won't listen to it. Well, I mean, you can, but mm. I, I feel I did a good job. Yeah, I, I was. I enjoyed the discussion. I need no more. <laughs> I save you time because I think the podcast is like 40 minutes. Oh, what? No. We're busy people. We're busy people. Just do our own podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, season five, Around the World, we're beginning with Murder on the Orient Express, which takes us through Europe. The dramatic delivery I really enjoyed, especially the hand yeah. response. So why did we pick Murder on the Orient Express? Okay, well, as discussed already, we obviously always start with an axe. She's the OG. Also, it's multiple countries, that's number two. Numero trois. We're also keen this season, as you'll find, to compare the mediums of the written form and the televised form. Film form, if you will. And there are... DOS, two different film versions, or well, there's actually loads, there's loads of them uh, out in the ether that we wanted to watch and review. So, what a combination. Also, it's one of our biggest, and we've never talked about it. Yeah, we've never talked about it. I have a question. Yeah. Have you read Murder on the Orient Express before? Yes. Because I had not. <gasps> Whoa, major. Major. major, major. I'd actually only seen Whoa. the TV versions. Do you think you'd avoided reading it because it was so hyped? Um. I know how you feel about hype. Yeah, maybe. Because you've read most of them. Yeah, I think it's just one of those ones that just sort of slipped through. Slipped through the net. Slipped through the net. I think I always just assumed, yeah, sure, I've read that. I see, I see. And then... You haven't? Revealed, I hadn't read it. Mm. What percentage of hers do you think you have not read? Well, do you know what I could do? I could add it as an action and actually give the stats next time. Please do. I've got the spreadsheet. Of course you do. Of course you do. I mean, Amy may remember. I have a spreadsheet of all the Agatha Christie's. It's very impressive. I have how much I paid for them. (laughs) I have whether I've read them or not. Also, whether I've lent them to anyone. Oh, well done. I think you genuinely a bit, were a bit annoyed when I was like, so I've done the, I've bought the whole collection in one. <laughs> <laughs> one flat rate, they're on their way. <laughs> so just to give a bit of context for this, Maddie and I both have the same copy of Murder on the Orient Express, which is from the Agatha Christie collection, Planet 3 version. Yeah, I love it so much. We will link the episode where we talk about this collection this particular one the front cover photograph was by someone called ron slenzak what a name thank you ron it's actually very good picture it's a very good picture it's sort of the old steam locomotive coming out of the darkness with swirling fog love it with blue but with sort of blueness to the back Mm. lovely lovely yeah okay right well do you want to kick us off murder on the express what's it about so a group of apparent strangers 
all meet on a train, the Orient Express, including Hercule Poirot himself. And they are, they're heading to Istanbul. They've been in Paris. And there's a real, I'd say, hoo-ha with getting Poirot on the train in the first place because it's very busy. They're surprised because it's off-season, off-peak, probably very cheap. (laughs) And they manage to get him on the train. It's all all as well. Off they set. And then they end up in a snowdrift. Very scary. I'm terrified by that concept. And they are therefore stuck for several days. And on the morning of the first day that they're stuck, one of the party is is found murdered, Mr. Ratchet. And the night before his death, he's at dinner. Everyone, he seems to be this very loud, quite aggressive American gent. And at dinner, he asks Poirot to protect him because he's been receiving some threats. And Poirot says, no, I'm good, thank you. I'm fine with that. At this point, Poirot doesn't just say, I'm good. (laughs) He actually says to Ratchet, I do not like your face, (laughs) Monsieur Ratchet. Amazing line. Amazing line. Also, we don't normally see that side of him. Real sass. Real sass from HP, and I'm here for it. Um, So, yeah. And then, obviously, a murder investigation ensues. It's very unusual as an investigation because they've got literally... Nafal resource just Hercule Poirot's brain so he basically interviews all of the people he uses some innovative uh, sort of scientific solutions to work out what's going on he, he interrogates them he figures it out by himself basically over the course of a few days yeah. and has to at the end come up with this it comes up against a sort of moral dilemma mm-hmm. about what to do because well maybe we'll talk about that later yeah that's the summary great wonderful use of Nafal <laughs> But they're very keen to solve the crime without involving the police. Yes. Because it will lead to scandal. Yes. Because he's fr- his friend that he's on the train with is like the um, owner of the company or he's like... It's like a sort of a high-level manager. Yeah. yeah. Monsieur Book. Yeah. Who I absolutely adore. Yes. He he's calls- very cheeky, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and he calls Poirot mon cher. Yeah. Ah, mon chef. Ah, l'affaire, l'affaire. I also love the, um, <laughs> brilliant. The, com- brilliant the dynamic character. between him, Poirot, and the doctor because whenever they're doing an interview, afterwards they always have a small debrief about whether the person did it or not and they all disagree every time. That's obviously it was him. No, it can't have been him. So yeah, a big fan. Big fan. Okay, well what did you think then? I'm well, a marvellous summary. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. I, well, this was my second read. Um, so I read it when I was about 13, which is quite young. Ooh, quite scary. Quite scary to quite read scary. at the age of 13. Um, and I had actually seen, I'd seen by this point the P.C. Ustinov version. So I knew I was getting myself in for. We will come to that. We will be t- talking about that later. We will. A little spoiler. And what I was very struck by was, wow, she's packed a lot in here. There's a lot in this. Jam-packed. Jam-packed. There is barely a word spared, I'd say, which is very impressive. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a lot, I think partly because it's such a nostalgic experience, because I know the story so well. I know the, both of the film versions very, very well. I would have watched it with my family when I was younger. And I also think it's such a such an iconic solution because he as as we've mentioned there will be spoilers so as we find out the entire um, passenger list commit the murder basically they all do it they're all in on it it's everyone it's everyone so they're all they're all involved which is very compelling as a story and i actually think very sinister because there is a tone of like well you can't trust anybody because everybody's everyone's lying here Mm. Um, but it it has become something of like an iconic reference that everyone's in on it Mm. and it's quite amazing to see it 
unfold I think for two reasons number one the reason for them doing it is so dark because essentially the characters are all household members of members of the household or related to the household of a family whose daughter Daisy very young like three years old is kidnapped and then they're blackmailed for money and then in the in the days after they've handed the money over she's found dead anyway and they're all therefore there to seek revenge so it's a very compelling motive i think some one of the most compelling motives we ever come across in a in a murder mystery but also it it then brings a side of poirot that we rarely see which i think is also very compelling that most of the time when we see him solve crimes he's like i know that it's painful to have this bad thing happen to you because a lot of the time we see crimes happen because either indeed out of revenge or someone's been hurt or there's like a money motive or lust motive and sometimes he will say like i understand i can understand why they did that but they need that like the right thing needs to be done justice needs to be served but he is so conflicted by the reasoning behind their killing of this man that he actually covers up for them yeah and part of the issue here is that that legal justice has not been served because Ratchet, yeah. whose name is actually Cassetti, uh, pays off. Yeah, the police. The, yeah, the police, the judges, the whole system. Yeah, and he gets away with it. Yeah. So there's a sense that the law has failed. Yeah, and he, we rarely see that side of Poirot, and it is quite. He, I think in the different TV versions, which we'll discuss, that is handled quite differently. Yeah. But I think underneath it is like I think something it almost pains him to have to like make that sacrifice but he <clears throat> I think it's made very clear by Agatha Christie that he does he's doing what he thinks is right and that's what's most important um, mm-hmm. in terms of like justice so I think that's really amazingly done and I think it's very impressive that you get a sense of each of these characters in the short in the short course of the book because it's really like minimal minimal time given to each member of the of the cast yeah it's pacey very it's pacey. pacey very pacey um so that's just a a little starter for you for you i've obviously got other thoughts but what did you think yes i agree that it is a fascinating reason why the murder mm. takes place i very much enjoyed trail of poirot because yes it is this is the murder of of an evil person or whether we believe in evil but certainly someone who committed an evil Mm -hmm. act and there is a lot of darkness around sort of the topic and the motivation but the book has moments of of lightness and comedy most of which come from Poirot being sort of his his Poirot self so the egg-shaped head gets (laughs) mentioned him pretending to be modest (laughs) Always hilarious. (laughs) Lovely mention of keeping his, not moustache, moustaches. Yeah, I I am fascinated by that. Which is how I I think you're actually supposed to... It's meant to be, does it imply that one half is one? Moustaches, yeah. That's one, that's two. Yeah. Whoa. So you could, in theory, have one as a half. (laughs) (laughs) It would look strange, but maybe. But he has to keep them out of the soup, which I liked. I quite like that... (laughs) There, before anything has even happened, him and his friend are just sort of having a chat on the train, and it's in. They've just seen Ratchet and Poirot straight to death. Yeah, immediately. He immediately, immediately says, 
death, evil, it's all going to happen. <laughs> uh, we were talking about how this, you know, Poirot is not messing, he just speaks his mind. Sometimes, in a very cruel way, he says, Princess Dragomirov, ugly as sin. No holds barred for it. Maybe, no maybe this is because um, he's on holiday. Yeah. It's like, you know, what do I want? Yeah. I'm away. And then as soon as the murder actually takes place and uh, Monsieur Book approaches him about it, yeah. he's like, yeah, sure. I was worried about being bored. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I've which, got you. Which is actually significant departure yes, completely. from the TV versions, which we will talk about. There's also a bit of comedy as well in that McQueen, who is ratchet, inverted commas, valet, thinks that Hercule Poirot, when he introduces himself, he's like, oh yeah, you're the um, famous woman's dressmaker. <laughs> I also feel like that's a real wasted... That's wasted not being in the film. I feel like uh, David Suchet would do a great response. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely afford. And then I also very much liked Poirot talking about angry Englishmen. I like to see an angry Englishman, said Poirot. (laughs) They are amusing. The more emotional they feel, the less command they have of language. Um, Would you agree with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, in Merger on Ori Express, there are a lot of lazy stereotypes so about much. nationalities. Very much. In particular, you know, th- things like, oh, someone's Italian, so they've, they've got to be involved with the mafia. Yeah. Also, so, like, that's really, really brought out because they're a group of, what, 13 people, 12, 13 people, all essentially from different nations. Yes. All of them. Which is also quite amusing because... They're so surprised. They're like, it's really weird that this carriage is off-season, but it's full, and from people from all over the whole world. <laughs> yeah. But I also think... It's suspic- suspicious in itself. It's suspicious in itself. But I, I think interesting because it's a reflection of the times as well, because they note that the only place in the world that you would find all of those people together is in America. Yes, which is fascinating because yeah. they're saying, right, where would you find all of these people of different classes, yeah. different Under backgrounds, one roof, different nationalities? What could be the connection between yeah. them? Yeah. yeah, which is really interesting because I, I would say if that were today, London would be up there. Well, yeah. Or, or indeed, yes, could be America. There'd be lots of places. Yeah, it could pro- probably any city yeah in the world yeah yeah and that that was obviously helpful mm. because i mean i did think if they'd had the internet would have solved it in five minutes <laughs> that's true if google existed <laughs> do you think that google would have put poor out of a job oh i mean in this case definitely yeah, because true. a lot of the book is just trying to work out who, who these they people are. actually but i guess are. that's what's so what so wonderful about the setup is that they they don't have the options to check these things because, and they have to take them at their word. So mm. he has to find ways to figure out if they're lying because he's only got his own, his new, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and the inst- instinct to guide him. Yeah. I did think it's quite an unusual, there's some things about it that make it unusual <laughs> in that I think it has the most information actually about the body and the yeah. autopsy mm. you don't you don't often get yeah, that, that in in agatha christie and then also seeing poirot doing these kind of yeah more sort of tricks so he does this amazing trick with his curling 
tongs <laughs> that he uses for his moustache to find out what is written on this sort of fragments of a note. I'd love to try that With a hat to box. see whether it actually works. Me too, me too. I was Maybe I remember as a kid being really taken with that scene in the in the film version where he puts them together. I mean, mm. like, wow, imagine, you scientist. Yeah, so that that sort of stood out to me and it's also it's divided quite clearly into three parts as well. Yeah. yeah. So it is it's highly structured yeah. and controlled, which I suppose it has to be because otherwise it's chaos. Yeah, <laughs> and there's no obviously you're not the location's not moving. No. It's not moving around or doing anything. It does. I do, it does make me like realize it, it. Like those kind of confined spaces are. They do create the most opportunity for. Yeah. Really strong plots, and it did. It did feel such an ideal setup. So ideal, and it did also make me think that that structured approach is so good for if you feel that you want to sleuth along with them. Sleuth along with, which actually leads me to another point. We should do our own company called like Sleuth Along a Mystery. <laughs> sleuth Along a Mystery. Go on. Around, so obviously this is my first reading. Yep. And there are some things in the book which I would say are perhaps more significant. Mm-hmm. Given a bit more space than in the TV versions. I was quite smug on reading the book when uh, Mary said trunk call. So in the book it says trunk call. And I think that does actually come up in the TV version. It sure does, yeah. But when I was reading, I immediately clocked that. I thought, absolutely not, Mary. I see you. I thought, I see you. How do you... Why are you referring it to it as a trunk call? Are you call? American? Have you been in America? I think so. I think so. so. And... And the grease spot as well. I would say in the book, That's this close. whole grease spot is is flagged, is flagged much much more. I did think on just on structure to circle back to structure, oh, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. will. I will. The book it is so rushed at the end. Oh my god! Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be a lot more denouement than that. It's, like, okay, yeah, no, we're done, bye bye. <laughs> it was a bit. I thought it was quite an anti climax, really, because you get sort of the final confession. And then, <laughs> essentially, in the book, we don't have this whole Poirot umming and ahhing. What's no, he going to no. do? Is he going to report it? He just says, all oh, right, I, p- I put my solution before you. I'm retiring from this case. Yeah, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so that took me by surprise, but I think that's because that was so different Very from much. the TV version. Uh, I have a, fo- a few follow-up questions I would like to ask. Who would you like to play or Ooh. be if you were in if a, I was production, be in a production murder of the Orient, oh, on the Orient Great Express. question. I guess it's difficult for you because there's no comedy bit part in this, is there? Well, Unless I, you think Monsieur Book. Yeah, of course. That's you, isn't it? I, I'm not very good at a French accent, though. I think you've got time to practice. Yeah. Uh, okay, Who would well, you be? I would like to be... Ooh, difficult, difficult. There's not very many kind of light-hearted characters in this, are there? No. Um, but you don't have to be, you know. You can play for something serious. Take my serious, more discerning yeah. side, yeah. Princess? Put Stragomir off. Yeah. That's what, I didn't mean that. <laughs> You're ugly at all. No, I was just thinking, she, she's a great character. She's very discerning, that's yeah. for sure. I'm always quite, I was always quite taken with, um, with Hector. 
But mostly McQueen. I think, McQueen, McQueen yeah. yeah. Mostly because in the televised version, he's played by, what's his name? On which TV version are you talking the about? The version with Peter Ustinov. Oh, I don't know. The guy who's in Psycho. I don't know. <laughs> right, well, I'm going to have to Google that. But he's a very compelling actor. While you're doing that, I know you must have been a fan of the fact there's a diagram. Yeah, obviously. I'm sorry, but I didn't understand the cabin number numbering system at all. Anthony Perkins. Don't know who that is. This guy. Do you know who he is? No, I don't know who he is. No, he's very famous. He's got man. very shiny hair. He does, yeah. Well, he's just so compelling as that in that in in that role. The other person that I'd be quite kind of amused to play with Mrs. Hubbard because I think she's just so extra. Yeah, I'd be down with that. Yeah. Larger than life. Larger than life. Yeah. So yeah, the diagram. Love it. Please explain why. What's going on with the cabin numbering system? Yep. What's going on there? I agree. Ten, eleven, one, two, three. Yep. Makes no sense. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Bizarro, isn't it? Or, is, or was that something strange to do with they added on a carriage or some such? No. I don't know. It, this it, is the one carriage. It didn't make any sense. I was also kind of confused about the gaps between like the door, the spacing of the doors. I wasn't, I, I didn't like it. Wasn't happy. Didn't like it. And you normally love a diagram. I like the diagram. It really confused me. Yeah, I don't think it's super clear. I loved how important a role dressing gowns played. Oh, that kimono. That in the the, scarlet kimono. Beautiful. So beautiful. I always wanted one. Well, I have got a beautiful silk dressing gown, but it's not scarlet. Do you wear it and feel like you're in the film? I just just sort of wear it and, yeah, pretend I'm in some sort of 1920s. I was wearing it this morning, actually. Were you? Yeah. That's fun. But I do like that they all have to explain what kind kind of of dressing dressing gown gown they have. have, Yeah. I've got sort of one final point on the book before we perhaps segue to talk about TV versions. Can we talk about the princess's late night massages? (laughs) What is going on there? Suspicious. I mean, if you had somebody that you <laughs> kept in your employ, and she gave really good massages, yeah, I'd be I'd be calling up all the time. I'd be like, yeah, come around. It's three a.m. I'm not. I can't sleep. Come and give me a massage. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> make the most. The resource on tap. Don't waste it. <laughs> I just. I. I think what I thought about it was just how. <laughs> Everyone's just really accepting, like, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, 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 sure the, yeah. the princess got a massage at, like, 3am. Yeah, no problems. <laughs> <laughs> and what? Do you think that you... How much would you pay to have an on-hand masseuse? <laughs> a live-in masseuse? Live-in masseuse. I think you've got to be paying quite a lot for that, haven't you? Yeah, but how much would you pay? I want now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay for it now. You wouldn't? No, because I don't think I would have the money available to give a wage that would... <sighs> no, no, obviously. That. I mean, more like, how much could you pay? If you, were, if you were like, I really want this, I'll offer you this. Give or take it. They can say no, obviously. I'm No, I'm actually not sure I'd want live-in. Okay. Because we live in London. If you want to have a massage every Just go day... down the road. Yeah. Then you can do that. Treatwell exists. Yeah, true. <laughs> I wonder if Treatwell uh, will sponsor us. <laughs> Check out with this code. That would be lovely. No, it'd be difficult though because whenever we gave like a, a discount code, we'd have to be like, type into the box the unsolved case of the missing salmon twenty three. <laughs> <laughs> right, HKMB. I've got. It's ready to go. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. I think it's a nine for me. I think it's an eight for me. Yeah. Although, should I give it nine to put it in Hall of Fame? Oh, I'm going to give nine. Do you know what? I'm feeling generous. I'm going to give nine. My only sort of beef was a bit too much on the lazy stereotyping. Yeah. End could have been longer. Yeah, could have had a more 
thought through end. I'll deduct half a point for each of those things. Okay, yeah, great. One liner? Iconic. Iconic. Just that. (laughs) (laughs) Iconic. Return to. What? Can we put like iconic sassy Poirot? Yeah. Comic Sassy Poro. In um, a unique case. In a unique case. Wonderful. Not that easy. Okay. Bam. So now we go to our new feature, TV Tattle. <laughs> TV Tattle. TV Tattle. Yeah. So for TV Tattle, this season... We will be watching TV or film, which is either the TV film version of the book we're reading, or if that does not exist, it's something linked to Sometimes. perhaps the location. Yeah, it's that we're not in for that week. Easy to find everything. No, it's not easy to find everything. But for this, our TV tattle cup runneth over. Oh, it is. It giveth. It giveth. Because there are many adaptations of Murder on the Orient Express. We decided to watch two of them. The original plan was that we would both watch both of the versions. But because I was on my own in the house, it was agreed that I couldn't watch the scary version, which is the Eustonoff. Yes. Version. Took one for the team. So Mansi very kindly took one for the team and watched that one. Uh, would you want to begin TV Tattle? Oh sure, I'd, lo- I'd love. Because I think actually TV Tattle was your idea. Was it? Yeah, I think so. Nice. Take the credit for sure, it. Sure, thanks. Yeah, so I watched the Peter Usinoff version. I sort of frame that maybe overly kindly as me taking one for the team. It's my pre- it's my preference. So really well done. I like. I, it was no skin off my nose. And the reason it's my favourite is because it's the one I saw first, which is often the one that then stays with you. And I think it is a rare... Because Peter Ustinov did not do all of them. He did a few. He did a few adaptations. So we should say Peter Ustinov is... Place Poirot. Place yes. Poirot. Not the Souche. And yeah, he didn't do all of them. He just did some of the larger, more well-known Poirot adaptations. Um, before David Suchet and I largely think David Suchet is perfection so it is quite controversial for me to think in fact it's the only televised Poirot that I think the other one is better Mm. indeed and we had it on VHS when I was growing up on video so we watched it quite often and it used to give me the willies as a child it is very scary. It's very scary. It's black and white as well, isn't uh, it? Is no, it? No, no, it's, it's not. not. But it is very dark. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. Is it? It starts in black and white. It starts though. in black and white. Yeah, yeah, it starts in black and white, and it's very scary for multiple reasons. But one of the things I think is very scary about it is I was very struck by this this time. Is it opens up on a reenactment, a reimagining of the kidnap of mm. Daisy Armstrong that mm. is in black and white. So it starts out with this scene of her being taken and then the ensuing newspaper articles coming out about the case mm. and you can hear the sound of her screaming, which is very scary. And then they turn that scream into the scream of the steam engine at yeah. the train station. And that's how it begins. Uh, yeah, it's very spooky. It's There's no likeness to it at all. Mm. And it's also a lot of the music is very sinister. 
Uh, and it's delivered in a way like Peter Ustinov has got no lightness there he's not playing it in a kind of sweet little jovial way he's he's a very yeah he's quite he's quite a spooky version of Poirot I think but I think there are many reasons that make it very very good I think the woman who plays um, Mrs Hubbard in the in this version is Mm. amazing because I think the version in the book it doesn't portray her as a very commanding presence Mm. because she's meant to be in the book uh, a little bit unassuming which means that no one really suspects that she could be this great actress Mm. but in the this film version she's very commanding she's almost the main linchpin I mean she is the linchpin in the book but she she plays that Mm. and I think she plays that very well I think that they give quite a lot of time to each of the characters so I really did feel like I spent time with them all Mm. and got to know them and also there's what I found strange is that there is a very key bit in the the denouement in this in this film I think is perfection he go they're in this carriage and he goes around and talks to each one of them Mm. about their involvement and you know how they are connected to the case and they all just kind of slowly crumble and the way he does it is amazing you can tell that it's really like got to his got to him Mm. psychologically and actually he talks quite a lot about in this in this which i expected to be in the book but i've realized on reread it's not that the number of the people that are that come together is 12 in the film Mm. and which makes up the number of a jury so it's like a kind of playing out of justice Mm. but that's not in the book which i was surprised by because i think that makes that does make sense i suppose in the book it's it's perhaps implied yeah isn't it but it's not it's not, not made as out explicit. in the same way yeah. yeah and also i do think less so than the david Suchet version but he does have there is more time for him to be conflicted mm. he is conflicted mm. he does really dwell but i think not so much time is given to that conflict mm. um but it ends with them all it ends with a very celebratory note which is quite strange <laughs> they're all cheersing each other and being like great <laughs> off we go then <laughs> we're still on luxury train still, still so. yeah off we off we pop i think it is really really well done the bit with the woman walking down the corridor with the kimono want very sinister the music makes it very creepy yeah i just think it's 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 top notch Top notch, very scary. I wouldn't recommend watching it by yourself. Thank you very much for that very comprehensive TV tackle. You're welcome. Right, on to the sush. The sush. So I watched the David Suchet version. Now, I would say that some of the creepiness is undermined by how many adverts there are <laughs> on... Fucking with a cruise? <laughs> ...what is now called ITVX. So, and, and the editing... It will just cut off, then it's Viking Cruises. So that... (laughs) So that sort of takes away some of the spookiness. So the David Suchet version, I would say, is very different to the book in a number of ways. They suggest in the ITV version that, that this is an older Poirot. Yeah, and he's starting to question his faith in injustice in the legal system, but also by extension religion mm. as well. So there's a lot of Faro being very religious, praying. He has his rosary beads with him, which isn't in the book. Um, and I did actually look up because I was like, oh, okay, well maybe Murder on the Orient Express 
is one of the later books and it's not no, at it's all it's quite middle yeah it's yeah sort of middle early mm. uh so they've yeah they've taken a decision there yeah. to use it to link on to some of the the later poirots and, and there is a theme the on final that. curtain yeah because yeah. that's that is a, a lead-in which does make sense i think yeah but yeah. it's not true so they played the, around yeah. with the the chronology there and the beginning is completely different so they bring in this case of an english soldier who takes his own life because he's been accused of this crime and there's sort of one of the colleagues gives this long talk about justice and lies to Poirot they bring in this case of a uh, Poirot and the colonel and Mary observe a woman being stoned Mm -hmm. um, because she uh, had an affair yeah so in the ITV version it's very I'd say it's quite heavy handed Mm -hmm. on the justice what is justice where do you get justice who who decides who gets punished it's very explicit Mm -hmm. which I don't necessarily know if it needed to be but obviously that was a decision they made there are some fantastic actors in the ITV version so obviously David Suchet Ov's perfect Toby Jones plays Ratchet oh my god yeah good point he is very creepy he's very good at playing (laughs) he's very good at playing creepy characters isn't that awful like if you're someone who that's your thing (laughs) (laughs) great casting McQueen is played by the sort of the hot guy from Sense8 if you haven't watched Sense8 it's it's amazing (laughs) it's completely ridiculous but you have such a fun time Uh, look it up it's on Netflix there's there's a lot of hot people (laughs) in it having there's a lot of sex in it but it's it's a good show it appears to be from some sort of soft porn (laughs) What I didn't like, I didn't like that in this version they make McQueen quite sort of angry and irritated mm. by everything. I wasn't sure about that. There is... He's pitched as quite an innocent young soul, isn't he? In the yeah. Book. He's just like falling in love with this older woman and he's just like bright eyed and hopeful for the world. And... It's all a bit, he's all a bit stroppy yeah. in the David Suchet version. The continuity is terrible so there's a shot where the train rushes into the snowbank and then you get an outside scene and it's it's sort of it's slightly covered next shot the snow is so much higher the train is somehow buried almost (laughs) completely but of all the changes they made i would say the biggest change for me in the itv version is suit David Suchet (laughs) doesn't want to take the case. No, he doesn't want to, no. In the book, jumps on it. Yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah, sure, I don't want to be bored. Yeah. And another change they make, which I don't know if it quite works, in in this version, they have the doctor who is conducting the autopsy is actually one of the 12. Oh. So he he turns out to be the gynecologist who delivered oh the the babies to the Armstrong family I'm not sure about that either but it it cre- creates a slightly weird dynamic because it means that he sort of makes up 
some of the autopsy results. So right. he goes, oh, there's 15 stab wounds. And Poirot's like, yeah, no, there's 12. Right. And I'm not, I wasn't quite sure that worked. Mm. Poirot in this, David Suchi's so angry. Yes, he's very he's dark. Really, really angry. And then, like, the colonel tries to shoot him, which <laughs> obviously yeah. not in the book. And there's there's just much more discussion about what's going on and um, who's going to decide justice. Mm. I mean, the most heartbreaking part of the ITV version, David Suchet cries. Oh, I know. Beautiful. Heartbreaking. Poor David. But he's too pure for this world. Yeah, but that is such a diversion. Yes, yeah, so true. In the book, I mean, in the book, he's like, okay, oh, well, yeah, seems to be kind of okay about mm. it. Or if he's not, we don't, we don't get any of that psychological yeah. exploration. David Suchet. Question for you. Trails. Yeah. Did you even watch Branner? Not this time. I have obviously, seen it, I have yeah. seen it. <sighs> bit, 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 bit now. I'm gonna say, I'm not a fan of Kenneth no. Branner in anything. <laughs> Um, I'm Justice for Emma Thompson, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm particularly not a fan of him as Poirot. Is it because he wrote, directed, <laughs> produced, Star starred? Produced. Get a grip. It doesn't work for me at all. No. I think it, he, it, there's too much... He's always like, I'm... Ke- even when he... Whatever part he's playing... Oh, he's still playing Kenneth Branagh, isn't <laughs> he? He's still Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> he's Kenneth Branagh playing Poirot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too um, much. Yeah, so I actually, I will not be watching any. No, I didn't watch Death on the Nile. No, I but no, no, that's enough. No, and there's and some I like Gal Gadot, but she, um, I sacked it off as well. Is there? Oh, oh no! Did you watch the John Malkovich version? That was rubbish. <laughs> no, it's oh, <that> terrible. <laughs> I didn't even finish it. I switched off. <laughs> oh yeah, controversial. I mean, that's tackle. That is true tackle. Oh, so on the case, there was quite a helpful bit in here. Again, around the importance of listing. Page 168. Oh, and we have the same copy. Head there now. Page 168. Oh, yes. Yeah, just a very logical Mm. list. So each person, a bit about them, motive, alibi, evidence against them, suspicious circumstances although I will say plot all the way through I had a bit of a bone to pick with that though in this version yeah in the book in the book because all like so even when sometimes evidence of suspicious circumstances even when the answer is none yeah there are some where that's the case yeah some of them later they don't even they don't even include that they're like well it's not important enough to include it so for example Count Andrini motive alibi that's it yeah, so about? we need yeah, consistency. Consistency. Where's the consistency? Come on. And then it comes back. It comes back again. Irritating. They take it out for Hildegard Schmidt. Why? Why? Anyway, that's just a, a small bone for Agatha Christie. But helpful for the case, I think. Consistency this... is key. Mm-hmm. And uh, process. Process. Motive, alibi, evidence against. Yeah. Yeah, the sweet melody of justice. say about our feline version of Poirot, Hercule. Hercule. He has been eating a lot of mice lately. Oh. Yeah, not just killing them for funsies. Eating Actually them. eating them. 
What, is he hungry? I don't know, man. I think maybe he doesn't like the current food that we're giving him because he's been out there hustling. Uh, seen, I think it's at this point multiple times a week, which is really not good. Have you down the food? No, we're still on Purina <laughs> 1. I don't know what he wants. It's on Purina 1. Oh, he, he I needs know, to. Living his best life, that cat. Yeah. But he's been really going for it and it's not good. Uh, In fact, the other day I caught him eating it with his, the, just, just the tails out and I thought, that is... There are a few things that he can do that I don't think are cute, and that is one of them. Yeah, I always sort of associate more mice catching as like sort of For a fun. wintery thing as well. Though. Oh yeah, true. Well, I think it's because they're all in the garden. I oh, said so they're out and about. They're out and about. Yeah, playing, winter they? they're hibernating. Don't know. No? They're just hiding. I don't know. But in the in the summer they're out frolicking, and then they think, oh yeah, just hanging out with my brothers and sisters. Bam, killer. Not good, um, not good. So yeah, he's um, well, he's he's executing his own form of justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe all of those mice have been involved in something. Local plot. Yeah, he's like, yeah, vigilante. Vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon. We have been discussing Murder on the Orient Express by the OG Queen of Crime, Agatha Christie. Thank you for hosting me. Always fun. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a treat. Next episode, we'll be reading The Lady Killer by Masako Togawa. Fans of the show might remember we've previously read The Master Key, also by Masako Togawa. So we are very much looking forward to that. Remember to buy your copy from an independent bookshop, such as All Good Bookshop. We're available on Littlelist. That's what it's called. So if you head to Littlelist and then go to All Good Bookshop, there is the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon bookshelf. We can just very conveniently select the book that you would like to read. How convenient. Sounds very suspicious. convenient. And we will put a link in the episode notes. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch. Please do. Yeah, please do. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a suggestion for a read, if you've got any insight on the case I'm looking at guests of the previous wedding get in touch we are on Instagram at Missing Summer Case we're also available on email at missingsummercase at gmail.com and of course we have a Facebook page The of Case of the Missing Summer please do get in touch this podcast was created edited and produced by Maddie Berry and Hannah Knight our music is sourced from Melody Loops and composed by Jeff Harvey We'll see you next time. In the meantime, meantime, keep keep sleeping. sleeping.